Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, Nintendo hears your pleas for a Switch successor and laughs. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. We've got a good show for you today. We're going to be talking about the news from the week, including the announcement of a manga adaptation of Fire Emblem Engage. And then on Thursday, we are discussing orphaned games we'd like to see coming to the Switch. We'd like to see them come to the Switch. But Mark, in the meantime, how's it going? I'm do- uh, it's going great. <laughs> uh, um... What did I ask you to ask you how it's going or how you are? I think that's right. I, th- I think there's no way to go back. There's no way to go back. Um, it's going great. <laughs> my so my husband's been out of town the past few days, which means all of like the regular TV shows that we watch together have been on hold. So no I amazing have been, race. No amazing race. So I've been, okay. you know, I was kind of like scrambling for something that uh, I could watch by myself. You know, to make the house feel not lonely. Um, <laughs> it's tough over the weekend <laughs> when when, uh, when when your partner is away. But uh, I settled on Survivor, which we, hu- we hung out like on Saturday for like yeah, a couple no, hours. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not uh, besmirching your uh, right, your right. companionship. But um, uh, I settled on Survivor. Yeah, which I had never really watched before. What made you uh, like gravitate towards it in in this instance? So I know that uh, my sister and her husband watch it and really like it, and so. But there's there's like forty three seasons a ton of, of seasons. Survivor, and Mike White is a contestant on one of them. That's hey, he's Mike White is also a contestant on the Amazing Race twice. I That's think right. He comes That's back right. like so with his dad, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, okay. Uh huh. But so I l- tried to look up online to find what the best seasons were. Yeah. And but I didn't. It seemed the consensus seemed to be like one of the All Star seasons. It's like I'm not going to start. No, there. no, no. That feels like no. I need to build a base of reference. They may first. be the best seasons, but like you haven't earned it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I have to put in the work. But I've got to say, it's I'm, like if a, a watch guide was like, uh, "End Avengers End Game is the best one." <laughs> right. Like, right. That might be true, but also like you can't you can't start with that. Exactly. So I went down to like the fourth or fifth best one on a particular list. Yeah. Um. And uh, it, it's Cook Islands, I think. And I've got to say, it's actually. It is a really good. You're having a good time. I'm having, having a, a great time, time watching yeah. Survivor. What have you what? ever watched it? No. Okay. I'm. I, I have a pretty strong aversion to most reality TV, um, and like I've gotten into uh, like various competition shows here and there when they're like highly specialized, um, but for the most part, the reality TV that I have an appetite for is just British Baking Show. And I fully expect to turn it off halfway through or fall asleep halfway through. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't sound so bad. No, it's a pleasant way to spend a, a, a Sunday afternoon. Um, Mark, speaking of a pleasant way to spend a Sunday afternoon, uh, how would you like to spend it not borrowing but owning my copy of Sonic Forces? That's right. The very perfect, very perfect. It's the first time I've described it that way. The perfect borrowing program for our my copy of Sonic Forces is coming to an end, Mark. Um, but if people want to... Uh, keep my copy to uh, 
borrow it one last time forever, um, you, they can. All they got to do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at gmail.com and get your name on the list. Uh, if you uh, if you get it, if you are selected, you will get my copy of Sonic Forces forever. I'll send it to you. Uh, you won't have to pay anything, and you, you won't be able to send it back to me. That's right. Uh, they may also great point end up owning your copy of Untitled Goose Game that'll be in a Sonic Forces box. That's right. Um, just a couple other things. The last day to get your name on the list yeah. is January 31st. So you have one more week. We are running out of time. To get your name on the list. And then we're going to randomly select two people. Right. Uh, and then one person will be sent Sonic Forces. One person will be sent Untitled Goose Game. In the and Sonic no, you Forces will box. not know which one in That's advance. That's right. Uh-huh. But because uh, it's just being sent away forever. Yes. You can s- submit for any address in the world. It doesn't have to be domestic. It doesn't have to be in the United States. I mean, su- submit it for your address, right? Like, I mean, that feels like a rule. Uh, you're right. You're right. If you want to send this thing to Fiji, you can send this thing to Fiji. Buckingham Palace. That's right. <laughs> Care of the king. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all fine. Get all of uh, all of your uh, your names to us by January 31st at midnight local time for you. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, we're not, I mean, not going to be checking no, it. No, no, def- definitely not. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we will uh, announce where the permanent homes of those games are going to be on the next episode after that. Did we say our email address? Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. gmail.com. Uh, and I think we did. Uh, Mark, I love that we're not listening to ourselves or each other at all in this episode so far. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's get into what we've been playing this week. Okay, I got to start off by saying that my I ordered I had pre-ordered a copy of Fire Emblem Engage the Divine Edition through Target. It is still not in my possession. I still expect it to arrive on Wednesday of this week. Oof. I know. This has been painful as other people in my life has have obviously gotten their copies either digitally or physically uh, and have started playing which mark i understand you have started playing fire emblem engage that's right can i ask one thing real quick about uh your current situation yes when you ordered it um like did you know it told you it was going to come you know like saturday right like it was like right around the release date yeah it, it had like an expected delivery date of uh yeah, I, I believe it was the, the 21st uh, of, of Saturday. I did this, like I said, from Target. Um, and uh, as I've talked to people, I've gotten that, like, knowing, like, uh, yeah, Target's not great about hitting, like, release mm-hmm. dates for stuff. But this was, like, literally the only place I saw it, uh, the, the pre-orders available for the Divine Edition. Uh, and I've had many times where I've been like, should I just buy this game from GameStop play it and then try to return an opened copy of the game and like it's a little bit of a gamble they reserve the right to not give you a refund for an opened piece of media uh so i haven't done it i don't want to accidentally spend an additional 60 dollars on this game especially when i know i'm going to spend another 30 dollars on the dlc um so yeah i'm just i'm, I'm in like a, a, a limbo that i don't like well at least at this point you're close i'm close i think right yeah has I it thi- shipped it says it says on the way, but I don't. It's it's not uh, it's not clear to me whether it's one of those like, on the way 
to the place that ships it or if it's on the way to you know my post office which will then be out for delivery oh man that stinks well hopefully hoping for the best but yeah i did pick up fire emblem engage um and i don't think i like it but i'm not sure it's still early Mm -hmm. i've only played like a couple of hours maybe two or three hours yeah um and uh it is fine but it but kind of like all the things i personally was worried about yeah. In going into Engage, again, as somebody who really liked Three Houses, but had not played a lot of Fire Emblem before, and in general, they're like pretty cool on strategy RPGs. Yeah. Um, or tactical RPGs. But either way, I yeah, it is just not really moving me. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's bad necessarily. So one, I think the presentation is really nice, but it is and like a lot of the visuals in the game are very beautiful but it's a very nice presentation of a a story that so far I find very tedious and not particularly interesting. Um, Can you pinpoint what's like tedious or not particularly interesting about that story? So, so much of it is like, um, and this is kind of the problem that I had with persona five, where it's just like, Oh, it feels like I'm being told a story that is self-evident. So, Mm. you know, there's like, and I'm sure that is not true. I'm sure that there are like twists and this is all just set up again. I'm only a few hours in, but there's a point, uh, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a point where like a character is giving a speech that I was like, was carrying my switch around doing other things because I was like, I get it. And this is still going right. Like, you know, like this is just seemingly endless. It felt like five minutes. Uh, it maybe wasn't that long, but it really felt like it was just like, I cannot believe that this is still happening. Right. So it's just sort of like the, the the standard like video game storytelling thing where it's like, in no other medium would this be happening this long. Right. Exactly. And it just made me, it, it really made me appreciate in uh, Persona 5 Royal that you could like uh, speed through cutscenes yeah. and not skip them entirely because i don't want to skip it entirely like i want to know what's going on but right. i am can impatient. you not speed up and like i don't just go not line that by i line. can tell uh, you can go line by line but some of it it's like cutscene cutscenes yeah where your only option is you know you watch the whole thing at normal speed or, or you, you press don't. like yeah. yeah exactly and like i don't i'm not digging either option really and then the other piece of it is that uh uh the the combat is so it's it's not like it's different from three houses obviously but um like i turned off all of the animations and all that kind of stuff so i never uh i'm just in the tactical view yeah and so i see what's happened like the you know kind of isometric map view and the uh you know my troops move in and attack and instead of cutting to kind of like this third person view with dynamic camera motion and like all the animations and the dialogue and everything, like I just skip all of that. Yeah, because it just feels like I, I'm this early in the game, and I don't have a lot of patience for like not a, a lot good of the sign. Just not a good, really sign. good sign. One thing I will say that I was uh, surprised by, and I think is kind of cool, is in my head, not knowing very much about this game before I bought it, that uh, kind of like that, you know, like uh, it, um, the thing in the game where you have other like emblems or you have you know the characters from different fire emblem games yeah. that are like with you and you engage with them and you can use them in battle and all that kind of stuff i was imagining for whatever reason that it was more like uh uh 
like you pulled them in and they showed up, but more like personas, I guess, in like the Persona series. Yeah. Where they, but he, they actually have a lot more like interaction and dialogue with you, which makes me understand way more the appeal of uh, the first DLC pack that's part of the season pass where you get Dimitri, Claude, and Edelgard. Yeah. If they really are like, uh, companions that you can like form these like bonds with and relationships and they have dialogue and like yeah. all that kind of stuff. Like it's like, Oh yeah. Like I can I, absolutely I like see the those kids. Of that. Exactly. They're good kids. Yeah. Do you think they're um like the pre time jump version of versions of themselves or the post time jump? Oh, that's interesting. I would guess the pre time jump version. I, I feel like that's more iconic. Um, also, if you do post-time jump, you have to decide whether or not Dimitri's got the eye patch. Right. Right. Because yeah. he doesn't uh-huh. in all the scenarios. Right. Is it is it in the the Blue Lions uh scenario where he he keeps his eye? The one that you did? No, my uh oh, actually I, I can't remember because there is somebody in the Blue Lions timeline who like does get an eye patch. Yeah. But I think it was on in the Blue Lions house. Well, yeah, so. that's Dimitri's in the, he's the, the Oh, then yes, the it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, th- I believe there is one scenario where he doesn't get the eye patch. Oh, uh-huh. Maybe, it must be the, uh, the, the Eagles. The, the Black Bla- Eagles. Black Eagles. Yeah. Because he definitely had it in, um, uh, in my playthrough of the Golden Deer. And I'm like very, yeah, very confident that he had it in the Blue Lions. But yeah, so like I would say that I'm like, yeah, not really enjoying it. Um, it took you a little fine. bit to get into three houses too though right to be completely honest i don't remember that was 100 years ago <laughs> there's no way to check it either i you know i'm i'm that is probably true and a lot of like the uh kind of like um you know very anime writing and all that kind of stuff like yeah this was true of three houses for sure but i think three houses had an earlier hook like you know it had right, right. The, the, the monastery and the classes and interacting with all the different characters and everything and so this kind of this has like an element of that um but it just does not capture my imagination the same way yeah so yeah i i don't know it for me i um i don't i don't know that it's for me uh well i don't need you to love it but i need to try it Uh (laughs) (laughs) and it's uh infuriating to me that i i've not been able to spend uh, any time with it yet um, so instead, Mark, what have I been doing? What have I been playing? I've been playing Tetris 99. I now have 505 tickets. That's it. That's, that I'm, seems good. That's, I'm, that's, I mean, that's it's, a lot of tickets. It's a lot of tickets. I need 999. I'm like halfway there. Uh-huh. Um, I have started uh, now. So, you know, the, you, you get the tickets by doing two things in, in regular mode, one in marathon and one in CPU mode. Um, and the, the versus CPU and the marathon, I wouldn't normally mess around with, but I have to, to get these tickets. One, uh, decision that I made, uh, over the weekend is that I am no longer going to do just regular Tetris 99 to get the, the two tickets in the regular mode. I'm going to be playing in the Invictus mode. Um, now Tetris 99, uh, Invictus battle is only available to people who have gotten, uh, the Tetris Maximus before who have come in first. Um, and it, maybe it's a, a couple times. I, I, f- I forget exactly what you need to do in order to uh, compete at that level, but it's the competition is much harder and it starts at a higher level. So pieces are falling faster. Oh, got it. Um, and uh, this means that the games are quicker um, and I like achieve whatever, you know, little thing, little task inside it much faster that way. Um, and it's more challenging. Um, so I, I think it is making me a better Tetris player because I'm engaging on the Invictus level. 
That's interesting that, I mean, I guess it makes sense. Yeah, like you could complete those tasks faster. Cause well, just because the whole game faster. is faster, yeah. And it's amazing like how much it makes your, just a piece falling faster makes you think about what you're doing with it faster. Um, and so like the whole thing just happens. Even though like when you're playing regular Tetris, you can drop the pieces at any time. Uh-huh. Um, it uh, just knowing, like feeling the urgency of the game is spitting out at you makes your brain do it faster yeah that's really cool man what an elite uh that's right i'm a tetris Invictus <laughs> player it's very cool uh and then i'm still chipping my way through crisis core final fantasy 7 reunion every time i'm like all right i'm gonna focus on the story now um i get through like part of the chapter and then it's like oh some new missions uh, have unlocked and i'm like I'm just jumping into those combat missions and just doing that straight up combat. I am now in the point of the game that is overlapping with uh, the cloud flashbacks that I know from uh, Final Fantasy uh-huh. VII, but obviously playing them from um, Zach's point of view. Um, so it's it's very cool to see like what parts they're sort of like skipping past because they know I know or they assume that I know what what's going on here. Um, and it it's still a, a killer game. I saw some footage of this game being played on like a PlayStation Five, um, just like on on YouTube. Uh, and I had not expressed uh, any complaints about the Switch performance before, and I still don't know that I have complaints. But I uh, can see the difference. <laughs> yeah, I can see it, and I'm like, oh yeah, the version I'm playing isn't as good as this version. Uh, yeah, that I, but that makes sense. But you can play it portably? I can and I do. Like, uh-huh. I, I, I will frequently uh, take it out of the, the dock and just play it uh, on, on the couch. Um, and sometimes that's because, like, uh, I, I turned the, the uh, English voice acting back on because I was, uh, like, in feeling engaged with the, the story enough that I was like, ah, I just want to hear. I just want to hear it. But the performances are embarrassing enough that I needed to be, like, a me activity and not like an activity in the whole house. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So I'm working my way through that. Uh, I'm in the middle slash near the end of chapter eight of 10. Uh, someday I will finish this game. If it's not before Wednesday though, I don't know when it's going to be but still enjoying it. Yeah. Still, still enjoying it. Um, though I, the, the fact that I haven't finished it yet does feel like a red flag to me that I don't love it, but I do think it's uh, very fun. Um, all right, Mark, that's what we've been playing this week. Let's get into the new releases and what we might be playing next week. So not a whole lot coming out this lot. week. Um, but one thing we can pull out from here is on Thursday, January 6th, uh, Euden Chronicles, Euden Chronicles Rising. Euden Chronicle is being released on Switch and other platforms in r- retail. Right. So we bumped on this for a second because we were like, hold on. A, is, uh, is this game is out already? And B, I guess that was it. We, we were confused. Iodin Chronicle Rising. So this is a prequel game slash stretch goal for the people who are developing Iodin Chronicle. What's the name of the full game? Oh, I just uh, 100 Heroes. 100 Heroes, which in itself is a spiritual successor to the Suikoden series. That's right. So the prequel game stretch slash stretch goal from the Kickstarter did come out in May of last year. Right. Um, And now it is coming out physically for all platforms. 
this week on yes. Thursday. Yeah. But then uh, Aiden Chronicles Hundred Heroes, right. which is like the main game that was being kickstarted, has not released yet, and it's supposed to release this year. Right, and the uh, uh, Aiden Chronicle Rising has like something of a mixed reception. Um, so. We don't even know if this is uh, like worthy of our attention, but we couldn't figure out what this was. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And just had to like break it down. It uh, of course makes me think of the oh no, uh, the Castlevania like the that that uh, Igarashi made. Um, yes, and then um, uh-huh. uh huh. There blood was stained. Blood stained. Yes, and they're like Ritual of the Night, this Curse of the good. Moon. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, there was one of them that was like the eight bit one that they even made a sequel to. Um, that uh. Yeah, those, I don't have any of the information, <laughs> the, the specifics here, um, other than, like, uh, it this seems like a weird, like, stretch goal that just, like, happens on these things sometimes, where they're like, oh, yeah, we make, like, another game. Yeah, and I don't know enough detail about this one, because for uh, Bloodstained, the Curse of the Moon, like, that one that was more, like, Castlevania 3, or, Castle, yeah, yeah, Castlevania yeah. 3 style, that was made by Inti Creates. That's right. So, like, yes. a completely separate development team, um, and I don't know what the deal was with uh, this prequel here well and especially like what's especially weird to me about like the bloodstain example is uh like curse of the moon and its sequel uh pretty good reputations uh more so i would say than like the main game uh and that does not appear to be the case here yes yeah but otherwise not a lot uh coming out this week um that we particularly wanted to shout out so maybe we just run through some of the uh list here and just pull out whatever tickles our fancy uh sure i'll say the name of a game and you tell me what you think it is okay, okay? uh and then we won't know what it actually is because <laughs> we're not going to look these up uh uphill on, on on thursday january 26th uphill rush water park racing okay comes to switch so um you know how at i've never been to a water park that has one of these i would love to but you know how there's like water coasters that like shoot the water coaster at the bottom of the hill. Up you know, like they there's a stream of water that kind yeah. of like pushes Launches you, you up, up it. Yeah, is and that then, real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know, like you go down the rest. So I'm gonna guess hmm. that uh, uphill rush water park racing is a game where you're at a water park and you are racing like uh, down slides. So yeah. almost like a uh, bobsled. But that all of the slides have some sort of like uphill push launch that like gets you started. That like blasts you off. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna say that it's like uh it's a game where there is a water park at the top of the hill and you're engaging in a foot race to get up there so you can buy ice cream. Oh, very good. And then uh I'll pull from Friday, January twenty seventh, uh a tone heart of the elder tree. Okay, so I think Atone, Heart of the Elder Tree. There's a colon in here. Uh, Atone, colon, Heart of the Elder Tree. I'm going to say that that's about, uh, it's like a lumberjack game. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I I totally believe it. Uh, all right, uh, Mark, that's what we might be playing next week. Let's close this segment. Oh, wait, wait. Actually, what? What? Well, this what? one's actually kind of looks, okay, Atone is a Norse mythology-inspired hand-drawn game that blends interactive storytelling and complex puzzles with a rhythm game combat system. Oh, interesting. At first I was like a tone, maybe that's a pun, so there's like tone, so there's a musical element, but you're saying that that, that actually is yeah, true? Yeah, that is actually true, and it mm. has this kind of like actually pretty cool art style. Oh yeah, it does look cool. All right, well maybe this game is great. Um, add it to your, uh, to your watch list, Mark. Um, let's close this segment out. 
which brings us to a regular segment on our show. It is time for 433. In 1952, American composer John Cage wrote a piece called 433, where a performer or group of performers didn't play their instruments for four minutes and 33 seconds. For the purposes of this show, our instruments are talking about Nintendo. So for the duration of one performance of 433, Mark and I will talk about something not at all Nintendo-related, thus fulfilling the contract of the piece. Uh, Mark, we have talked about the longest-running sitcoms, the longest-running Broadway shows. Now you are going to administer a list to me that is... Uh, the top 10 films with the most weekends at number one in the North American box office. Okay, all right. So uh, I got I to gotta start with my gut. I got to take myself back to when I'm like 14 years old. Titanic. Yes, Titanic is number two Titanic on the list. Titanic number two. At 15 weekends at number one. Okay. And I... Uh, Kind of to give you a hint, like, Titanic is the most contemporary film oh. on this list, which kind of speaks to the way that, like, release schedules yes. used to work, because now it's all front-loaded. Week one, it's, yeah. like, blockbusters are on every screen everywhere, and right. then it quickly peters off, right. whereas right, that was right. not the case, uh, especially, like, uh, most of these films on the list were in the 80s, and so the era of the blockbuster right. was starting, but films would still release in like a handful of theaters and slowly grow and well, just be there for a right. long time. And it's also before the uh, before VHS becomes totally commonplace and so that you could actually watch these movies at home. And before like megaplexes were a thing. Right. So how many Spielberg movies are on the rest of this list? Oh, yeah. Let's see. I'm just going to go ahead and say E.T. E.T.'s number one. 1982, baby. Uh, uh, 16 weeks okay. at number one. E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Mm. A, f- a full third of the year. E.T. That's was number insane. one. Yeah, pretty crazy. Congratulations. Big ups to E.T. <laughs> Big ups to E.T. Is Raiders on that list? Raiders of the Lost Ark is not in the top okay. ten. Not in the top ten. Okay, all right. All no. Right. Uh, is Return of the Jedi on there? Return of the Jedi is also not in the top ten. Okay, all right. So the way the top ten works, I'll just tell you, it's 16 yeah. weeks, E.T., 15 Titanic, and then there's two at 14, one at 12, one at 11, one at 10, two at nine, two at eight, and two at seven. So there's like 13, but we'll just count that. Yeah, like, sure, sure, list. sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, and so I, I should be aiming for so like some 80s hits right now? Yeah. Um, yeah. So you have uh, Titanic uh-huh. in the 90s, and then everything else. In the 90s. <laughs> you could sail the seven seas. In the 90s. <laughs> Precious time, Patrick. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, yeah, everything else is in the 80s on this list. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. There's one from 1990. Uh, okay, from the year 1990? Uh-huh. Uh, is it like Goodfellas? No, it's not. Oh, is it Ghost? It's not. Is it Good? <laughs> to start with a G? No. Oh, okay, then I'll stop guessing that. <laughs> it starts with an H. With an H? Uh-huh. Ha- I don't know what this one Home is. Home Alone. Home Alone. 12 weeks. Why would? Why did it stay at number one for so long? Uh, people, uh, it's yeah, a holiday movie. It, hey, it was I 1990, know, I know, man. You're right. Um, <laughs> it was, like, that explains it. Um, all right. Uh, so other like 80s blockbusters. Is Ghostbusters on this Ghostbusters list? Ghostbusters is 10 weeks, number seven. All right, great. Um. All right. Other '80s movies that would be on this list. Some of these are hilarious. Um. Are they like still in like that blockbuster mold? No. No. Some of these are like um. uh, Crocodile Dundee is number eight at nine weeks. Nine weeks. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Um. So, but I should be thinking more like that. Exactly. Like some of these are not you know like blockbusters in the traditional sense. They're kind of just like middle of the road. 
you know, like uh, films that right. just had staying power at the box office. So, like, uh, is uh, you know, something is is there like a, a Bill Murray '80s comedy in here? Um, there is not like a- Stripes or Mm-mm, okay, nope. okay, um. Or the one where they're there golfing is, that there, everyone loves. Uh, no, what's the name of that movie? Caddyshack. Caddyshack. There is a Eddie Murphy comedy at the top of this list from 1984. Ooh, Beverly Hills Cop. Yes, number three at 14 wow. weeks. Number one. Wow. And then a Dustin Hoffman also at 14 weeks. A Dustin Hoffman Rain Man. Nope. Okay. Um, more of a comedy. Mm. They've turned this into a Broadway musical. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, I'm so I'm so confused. Tootsie. It's Tootsie. Yeah, Tootsie. Fourteen it's weeks. Tootsie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, weird that I've just got like a block in my mind where where Tootsie used to be. <laughs> I can't believe you haven't guessed Porky's at number eight. No way. Yeah, I'm serious. Or oh, no, no, sorry. Number eleven at eight weeks shares that with Fatal Attraction. Where? Uh, how far down the list do we have to go to get to like the Blair Witch Project? Blair Witch Project is not on this list. Whoa! Yeah. I understand that's not 1980s. I was doing a little bit of a swerve out of there, but... Yeah, but no, not... So the list goes to four weeks, and um, not... I there, guess... There are a lot of we- num- films at four weeks. Yeah, I guess, and, but I guess I guess that makes sense. Four, even four weeks is a long time to be at number one, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. A full month. Yeah. Well, what 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 obvious ones were running out of time here? What obvious? Ones I don't think I there's any obvious ones on here. So okay. you have E.T. at number one, Titanic at two, right? And then that's kind of where I think the obvious lit ends. But I said Beverly Hills Cop. You did. You got okay. that number three. Tootsie's number four. Very little prompting. Fourteen <laughs> weeks. Home Alone is number five at right, twelve. Right. Right. Back to the back future, to the future. Eleven weeks. Ghostbusters ten weeks. Crocodile Dundee and Good Morning Vietnam nine weeks. Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah. It's amazing how many comedies are on this list, isn't it? Fatal? I've never seen Good Morning Vietnam. Is it a comedy? Oh, I don't know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fatal Attraction and Porky's, eight weeks. Right. And then, like, Avatar, seven weeks. On Golden Pond, number one at the box office, as many weeks as Avatar, seven weeks. Oh, uh, I guess uh, we'll, we'll never know how the rest of that list goes. We were accompanied today by violinist Robert Rescott. All right, Mark. Let's get into the news. Oops. Let's get into the news. According to Bloomberg, Nintendo is reportedly looking to increase Switch production in this next fiscal year. Which I'll say raises some questions, but let's continue through the facts. Okay, so from the Bloomberg article, quote, Nintendo has told suppliers and assembly partners It intends to churn out more Switch units in the fiscal year starting April, but has not yet communicated a precise target. So, Switch units. What do we think that means? Lots of room for interpretation. Lots of room. Um, The Switch OLED, Switch Lite, Vanilla Switch, something else. uh So, and one thing to note is that Nintendo originally uh, forecasted for the current fiscal year that ends in March um 21 million units but then lowered it in november to 19 million due to component supply issues okay so not because of demand just because of component supply issues so they are seemingly now acknowledging that those issues have been surmounted Uh uh-huh and according to bloomberg nintendo believes demand for the switch is still strong so, also, uh, we didn't talk about it last week, so we didn't know this last week, but 
we learned that the switch true, true of most things by the way if we don't talk about it on the show you can assume we don't know about it <laughs> we learned last week that the switch was the number one console in the u.s last year in units sold according to npd so um still going incredibly strong and yet it just feels like it's been around for a long time it does feel like it's been around for a long time what is it that makes the switch what what is it that makes them think like oh yeah we're gonna sell more of these things next year i don't know like is it a plan to drop the price right is it a new model like we saw with you know like the light and the oled um is it a strong games lineup you know with like zelda tears of the kingdom coming out right right uh Miyamoto Other having that Pikmin 4 t-shirt. They're going to sell so many t-shirts with this thing. <laughs> Lingering unmet demand? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. The, does it feel like there's unmet demand at this point? It feels like if you want to buy a Switch, you can go into... My uh, coworker the other day was like, my daughter's been asking for a Switch. Uh, like, can you help me find one? And I was like, I think you can just go into a Best Buy and pick one up. Yeah, after and the we, holidays, I didn't have to search for the OLED. I just right. went into any store. Which, like, I just happened to be at, and they had yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Like, he and I, like, went to my computer and just, like, pulled up Best Buy and was like, oh, yeah, you can get, like, 12 in stock down the street. Um, and so he just did. Um, it doesn't seem like there is, like, pent-up demand for it at this point. No. So it's it feels, I mean, obviously, this seems like a... I guess, like, in the craziest scenario, yeah, they are, like, they're counting a Switch successor as a Switch. But that is, like, truly That's fantasy, bonkers, right? like, yeah. zero. And then I guess maybe they're trying to, like, stock up the base model of the Switch before they switch the assembly lines over to a new version. But it really genuinely seems like there is no plans to retire the, the switch, current Switch, yeah. at least in the next, like, fiscal year. So. We've talked uh, a couple times about like what Nintendo's in this weird place where like it doesn't seem like they want to put out new, more powerful hardware, even though that's like the sort of like common refrain. Um, and we've asked like, what is it that like makes Nintendo like new and exciting, or like what can be their offering that is like a next gen kind of thing without actually changing the hardware? Uh, and I've suggested before that like. Um, especially this like partnership with DNA that they've got to be doing something on like the network side or on like the services side. And if they are about to drop a thing where like the Nintendo online account system is more robust or like more gotta have access to it or gotta have access to it on switch, then I could see there being like a need for more of these things in the wild. But it's also just like, if you want one, you can get one. Right. What do you think? What do you think this portends? Do we have a new model of Switch? Do we have a price drop? What's going on? So I, I, I mean, I don't know. You know, the Switch has gone up in price with the OLED, you know, over sure, the years. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, may, maybe a price drop, maybe like 50 bucks off or something. But I, I really don't know. I, you know, a few months ago, I said that I thought 2023 was the year that we're going to get like whatever is next in Nintendo hardware. And it seems very clear that that is not not going to case. be the case but i feel like uh their nintendo the longer they wait that the um enthusiast press anyways and like you know like yeah is is moving on and like gamers are right. becoming more and more uh like frustrated or you know like impatient i guess is the right word like i saw a review of 
or like preview or something of Fire Emblem Engage and it was like, oh, Engage is the perfect game while you wait for a Switch 2. And it's like, I think you're waiting a long, you know, like it yeah, just seems yeah, more yeah. and more, but that's kind of like the dialogue right now. And I think it, uh, obviously the Switch is selling to a very broad audience and that's just like a noisy part of the community that, you know, we're more tapped into. And so like we listen to, but it does right. make me feel like the longer Nintendo waits, the greater pressure there is on whatever this next hardware is to be successful. That's true. That's true. Well, the the thing that's so weird is that, like, you know, you, you can look to, like, these previous examples uh, in Nintendo's, like, hardware lineup. Like, speci- I'm specifically thinking here of, of the Wii, right? That, like, the Wii sold like crazy. There's no uh, no world where you could say that the Wii was a disappointment. But by the end of its life, they were not making that much like well-regarded first-party games for it. Um, but that is simply not the case for the Switch. Like the Switch, the Fire Emblem Engage uh, is being well-reviewed. People are excited about it. Tears of the Kingdom is coming out. Uh, highly anticipated by highly everybody. Highly anticipated. Yeah. Won a game award for it, I guess. Um, but like every year, there's at least a couple games that like, the people in that same like gamer enthusiast journalist soup um that they're excited about right um and even if it's something like uh pokemon scarlet and violet which is uh you know suffering technically maybe because it's on on uh that old hardware and maybe just because that's what it is it's still like uh heralded as a great gaming experience that you can only play on switch so like it doesn't actually sound like the we we can say that it's getting creaky and that like it's reaching the end of its life um but the sales don't back that up right yeah it's such a um i think they're entering a really interesting time because i do think you know like uh last year at the in like november or something the verge published an article about how like yeah, like the Switch is feeling really on its last legs. And so I think that the, if they're not, maybe no fault of their own, but the narrative around the Switch yeah. in the gaming press, in like tech, not tech press, like just in general, is becoming like, this thing feels old. This thing is on its last legs. Why is there no replacement? And uh, I think you're right that a lot of people won't tune into that, but I can't imagine that that's what, Nintendo wants the discussion around Tears of the Kingdom to be it's like Tears right. of the Kingdom is great boy but, I wish I could play yeah. it on like hardware that didn't have these like technical issues do you know what I mean like I do yeah. I, I I think they are they're entering a really interesting phase of the switch where it is enormously successful but the uh like enthusiasts and the press are just kind of getting tired of it and um that may not be reflected in what uh just normal consumers are feeling but anybody who is looking for anything switch related right now if you're just curious about fire emblem engage like that is a lot of the narrative that you're being told yeah which is we and and will be a lot of the narrative around tears of the kingdom even if it is great even if it is somehow better than breath of the wild it's still going to be like but i wish it was even better on stronger hardware yeah um do you think it, it it's possible that like um uh you know one of the like possibilities that you have in uh the the notes here is is this like indicative of a strong games lineup for this year do you think it's possible for nintendo to do a like launch year style release like a a launch year 
schedule basically on not new hardware like a like, uh, 2017 like, type you to know try level to repeat like, 2017 where it's like here are the like level and uh quantity of games that we would try to push out to launch a new system but just in the middle of the switch's life yeah i think what's so weird about that is you're like well they have to have something for whatever this next thing is sure. and so if they are launching you know, like uh, all these games that, you know, heavy hitters that have been worked on internally by, you know, like um, uh, the Mario team and all that kind of stuff. You're like, well, then how far away is the next hardware, you know, because all these teams would then be starting yeah. over essentially. So I, I don't know. I, uh, you know, I have in there. That... But also a lot of those teams have been quiet for a while. Right. So like they have to have something just about ready to go. Um, and. I mean, I, I, my joke answer for a while was uh, no new Switch until 2025, and now I'm just like, that's early. Yeah, like holiday <laughs> 2024 seems like early at this point. Right. Yeah, I, yeah, I really, um, I really have no idea. I, it seems based on just kind of like purely maybe informed speculation from people online is that, you know, Nintendo doesn't necessarily have like a ton of heavy hitters for 2023. And that they are working on, you know, like remasters, uh, Metroid Prime, maybe like an F-Zero game, like that sort of thing. And uh, so I don't, so yeah, I really, I don't, I really don't know. It feels a little baffling to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and this is all, you know, uh, the joy of being a Nintendo fan is that you will be very excited about them sometimes. And then a, a period of years where you're like, hey, what's going on here? <laughs> um how how are how are you feeling? Uh, you know, obviously, I I uh, mentioned that uh, Crisis Core um, performed, you know, uh, obviously just a little bit worse on uh, the 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 Switch than I was seeing it perform on uh, PlayStation Five. Um, but how how are you feeling about like the age of your Switch? How do you feel about like this conversation in general? Yeah, I'm so insulated because I don't own a PlayStation 5. My yeah. PlayStation 4 hasn't been hooked up because when I have time to game, it is just on, like, I basically just play on Nintendo hardware. So the Switch, for all intents and purposes, is the only gaming hardware that I have. But, it, but and so from, like, a graphics sort of, like, standpoint, uh, I don't have any complaints. My, what I really feel is just, like, man, like, I just wish the eShop was a lot faster. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it feels like when you're loading, like, lists of games, like, it's really loading, and that kind of stuff is for me where the switch really shows its age. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, for, for for me too. I I do think the um like just general conversation around um like uh what the other consoles are capable of versus what the switch is capable of. Um, I I honestly don't see that much of a change like outside of the like mega powerhouse things you know like uh god of war ragnarok that i just played on um uh playstation 5 um uh, outside of those extreme examples i think you still see games on the other platforms that are like if not chugging in the same way that they're chugging on the switch that like it has runs up against like the same sort of like graphical limits right that like without something being a huge like quadruple a style game that you know they spend a ton of money on and they're just like this has to sell eight million copies or we're all dead um that like I, I just don't know that there's that much of a gulf between what's like responsibly put out on uh, switch versus what's responsibly put out on playstation 
I feel like the most likely scenario is that maybe a combination of like price drop, but actually a price drop. Now that I say that, like why? actually doesn't. Why would even they do feel, that? Why right, would they drop the price? Like doesn't feel that realistic to me. But maybe a new version. We've talked about like every two years they tend to have some sort of revision. Mm-hmm. So maybe like a, a OLED light. You know. Yeah. Why not an OLED light? Like that makes perfect sense to me. So yeah, I guess uh, we will. We'll It'll find be very out. interesting to see right. what Nintendo has up its sleeve for 2023, or well, doesn't, or doesn't. Uh, and we are, uh, Mark. I'm declaring. I'm declaring it now. We are in uh, Nintendo Direct Watch. Uh, we are at the end of January. Any given Tuesday, <laughs> Nintendo will announce there's a direct coming out the next day. It's we're we're in that window now for the next four weeks. Mm-hmm. We are all on notice. Um, and that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not super plugged into like Twitter right now, uh, but there, I feel like there are usually like rumors that precipitate these things and I've not been like, yeah, privy there's to no any buzz. There's no buzz. Yeah. Um, uh, th- this is like, uh, this is like my least favorite kind of toy story. No buzz. <laughs> <laughs> I'll allow it. I will allow it. Uh, a manga adaptation of Fire Emblem Engage has been announced for Japan. Uh, the main character is the male version of Aaliyah, because you know how in the game you can choose, you can choose to, like right. either form. Uh, for the manga, it's just going to be the main character. Did you see how before I said manga, now I said manga. I'm just covering all my bases. Yeah, just say them both. <laughs> published. <laughs> it's going to be published monthly in Psycho Jump, starting with uh, for the February 3rd issue. And Kazuro Kayu, who is known for series like Dead End Host, uh Heimdall and Hugago Idol is the uh is the author. Um that's neat. It's it's neat that they are uh, supporting this in a in the form of a manga. <laughs> um do you think that there is a just like generally speaking in the Fire Emblem games um a sort of like consensus on like which version of the main character is like the main version like which one they like is like headcanon for Nintendo? No, I, I don't really. I feel like the female versions are very popular. I feel like they, they generally are too. Um, who are, which are you playing as? I'm playing, in, I'm, I, I'm playing as the male version. Right. I, I, I plan on playing as, as the male version too. The female version, her breasts are too big. <laughs> I, feel, I feel weird uh, <laughs> selecting that character. Um, but yeah, like, I, I think like the female Byleth and female Corin are um, from uh, Three Houses and Fates are sort of like the default um, that like is the, the assumption for those characters. Yeah. Not much revealed about the plot of the manga, but presumably we'll follow the game story. Maybe it'll be an alternate timeline. That's one of the I, I was uh, I, I did play a little bit of Fire Emblem uh, Three Hopes, Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes this weekend. I didn't bring it up because I was just hacking and slashing. Um, but it's so funny to me that they're like, all right, we're going to tell another story in this world, but it's going to be an alternate timeline. Um, uh, so maybe that's what they're going to do. Here. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Last week, Persona 3 Portable and Persona 4 Golden were released on Switch and other platforms. Uh, the Persona Central website translated an interview with Persona Team business producer Atsushi Nomura and Persona Team director Daisuke Yajima, uh, originally published in Japanese gaming magazine Famitsu. They're it kind of like uh, just reading pieces of this. It reminded me how complex it is to 
bring games from one platform to another. Yes. You know, in my mind, it's a PSP game that is being brought to modern consoles. So that must be super easy. But it's actually right. File, incredibly save complex. As. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. But it's incredibly Nintendo complex. <laughs> so uh, two parts that stood out to me. So Famitsu asked, wasn't there more than simple porting involved with these two titles whose original versions were released on handhelds? And Yajima says, that's right. There was a lot of high-resolution original data available for illustrations and other 2D materials, but for 3D data such as CG models, we had to modify textures and optimize the data to match the modern console specifications. Particularly, Persona 3 Portable's resolution is much higher than that of the original version, so it took an enormous amount of time to modify all the data. Yeah, and that all stands to reason. Like One, one of the things about um, like porting games from... Uh, earlier generations especially like within Nintendo is that you're like oh yeah you know they would have to like upres that from from Wii that was in HD uh you know to so like bringing about um Skyward Sword HD for example like that's that's a big that, that that's a big task but it's not insurmountable the idea of taking uh something that was on the 3DS which looks great on a tiny screen um the resolution is so low. The, the textures are, are so uh, undetailed um, that are just going to look insane on uh, a, a, an HD uh, TV. It just means there's there's more to do there, right? Like the, the gulf between a portable thing and uh, what you play on your TV is huge. And uh, Famitsu also asked, supporting 60 frames is a big change, isn't it? And Yajima said, indeed, the original version was based on 30 frames per second, but it wasn't a simple matter of doubling the frame rate to reach 60 frames per second. For example, in the event scenes, the motion and the scaling often didn't match. To be honest, we considered compromising on the event scenes where the focus is on watching dialogue since the feel wouldn't change much if we kept the original 30 frames per second. Oh. Still, I was determined to not cut any corners in the remastered version. Uh, that's a great point. Like, If most of what's happening in that is you're reading the text of these characters speaking to each other, uh why bother <laughs> yeah but it is interesting right because like you uh i also know that if that was the case then in reviews for it they would have been like and it's jarring that the cutscenes are that's in 30 true. frames that's per true. second you know what i mean so it, uh, it's so weird that that is jarring though just like thinking about the human eye's ability to perceive motion and i know that like at at a higher frame rate like 60 like there actually is something that you're perceiving that's different even if you're not like able to perceive the frames between uh, all of that um but like you know that uh a, a cartoon or whatever um is usually drawn on the twos uh which means that in the 24 frames per second that a normal movie is you're only drawing it uh 12 images per second um and that looks great <laughs> yeah no i don't know maybe it's like you know uh, I mean, for me personally, I don't know that I could see something and be like, oh, that's 60 frames, that's 30 frames. But if you put it side by side, yeah, like I'd right. be able to tell. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting because, again, in my own head, I think of these as like such simple, like no-brainer projects. Right. But you realize the complexities behind actually porting something like that. Yep. It's all a big deal and game development is impossible. <laughs> game Freaks, seminal, solitaire slash horse racing 3DS masterpiece piece. Pocket Card Jockey was recently released on Apple Arcade as Pocket Card Jockey Right On. And to coincide with the release, Polygon published an article on the origins of the game, uh, which I had never really considered before. Yeah, the game had to come from somewhere. <laughs> uh, so Maceo Taya, a programmer at Game Freak, was a horse racing fan and had made several internal proposals for a horse racing game mashed up with a card game, but he says they weren't very good. 
I bet they were all like complicated where it's like you get this many like horse points and like <laughs> you get you get to like play shoes and you got to play a saddle uh-huh. and then, you know all this kind of stuff. It's so funny to me how the game is just solitaire. Like that's the gameplay that's the main way you interact with it is just hands of solitaire. So, uh Pokémon series composer and also a horse racing fan, go Ichi knows uh knew that he was trying to what he was trying to work on and sent him a mobile solitaire game and suggested he try stol- solitaire instead of a custom card game smart everyone knows how to play solitaire yeah and so you know they like worked through it figured it out but what i didn't realize the game has been on phones before what? there was a free-to-play version released in japan that like didn't do very well oh and so Ty- oh so you probably had to like pay for right like, exactly oh, okay. so well. yeah, like in uh the polygon article uh taya talks about how it just didn't it just didn't work and then as apple arcade got more popular in japan they felt like there was an opportunity to release like a fully fledged version do do you think before we move on to this next point do you think that uh solitaire like playing hands of solitaire is because of its like ubiquity on uh like pcs back in the day like one of the fundamental like gameplay types like of game that it's like solitaire is up there with like falling block puzzle and brick breaker oh yeah and, oh totally uh, like pinball i've never thought about it that way but yes absolutely like it's just got to be uh-huh uh oh but of course polygon is asking the question on everybody's mind is there a possibility of a future switch version oh my god please and uh the author asks about it but taya says they're focused on improving the apple arcade version but he doesn't rule it out completely uh well i hope that we get it Someday, this was almost enough to make me uh, uh, subscribe to Apple Arcade, mm-hmm. but I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the SteamWorld series is expanding with an announcement of SteamWorld Build coming to PC and consoles, including Switch, in 2023. SteamWorld Build. I think I said, I, I feel like I said Build strangely the mm. first time. SteamWorld Build. build. <laughs> Mark, that was such a strange way to say that. Yeah. Uh, In their article covering the announcement, Eurogamer calls it... I was looking for an easy way to understand what this was. And Eurogamer calls it a mix of SimCity with uh, Dungeon Keeper. What's Dungeon Keeper? Um, (laughs) So you construct and build... So in this game, you construct and build a city above the surface. But then you're also sending workers into the mines below to explore and gather resources that you need to keep the city moving and keep the city growing. And those people that you're sending out, are, is that you? Are you controlling them in like a, a digging around? Or is it be just... Honest, I have no idea. Yeah, Mark doesn't know. But there's a demo available now on Steam. So uh, so someone might someone know. Someone can check it out. I played SteamWorld Dig 2. Yes. And uh, I didn't beat it, but I enjoyed what I played of it. I got pretty far. Um, and it sounds like it could be an intriguing mix to have like a city builder on top and then doing the SteamWorld Dig stuff underneath. Yeah, I mean, the the... The least that you can expect with a SteamWorld game is that it's going to be well-constructed and look cool, right? Like, uh, they the, those guys know how to uh, apply those designs and just, like, their attention to detail to a bunch of different genres. And it seems like they're all relatively successful at it. So, um, one to keep an eye on for sure. And finally, Uno is the next Nintendo Switch Online game trial for Nintendo Switch Online subscribers in North America. The trial starts January 24th at 10 a.m. Pacific time and runs through the 29th uh, at midnight, basically. The full version is also on sale for 60% off through February 6th. Um, 
So, I mean, it's it, it's cool that, that they're keeping this up. How much does Uno normally cost on Switch? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, lo- I'm looking it up right now. $9.99. So, it's not... It's not... You know, <laughs> like a big expense, and uh-huh. also like it's Uno. You know what? <laughs> you know what it is. You don't. You don't need like a week to try it, right? <laughs> right. And also, like after a week of Uno on your Switch, you'll be like, "I'm good. W- I'm I'm good on Uno." When's the last time you played Uno? I actually played over the uh, over Thanksgiving with uh, some family. So I suggested that we play, or that Uno was a possibility when uh, Sarah's brother's family was in town for Christmas, uh, and uh, Ben shut it down real fast. Sarah's brother, because <laughs> he was like, "No, the girls don't like Uno, um, or they like Uno, but they're not good at it. Uh, uh-huh. uh, like they get too fighty about it." I think. Um, so I suggested Uno and was told, "No, we do not play Uno in this." <laughs> Uno, a cause of contention. Uh, all right, Mark, let's get out of the news. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, you can still follow us on Twitter, still, because it, it's still there and we're still sort of engaging with it. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nincart Society. We also have a Discord, which you should be a part of because that is a place where we are talking and where people are hanging out talking about Nintendo. Email us or tweet at us, and we will send you an invitation, and you can hang out as well. Anthony DeLuca made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Apipetti. You can get more of his music by going to apitbetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Ellers saying thank you for listening. <laughs>